Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam at WCEV 1450 AM Chicago. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen. Radio Islam is a live call-in talk radio program airing every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev.com. Now you can also check in to RadioIslam.com and listen to prior episodes, articles, find out information about Radio Islam, events and such. And if you haven't done so already, follow us on social media, all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud as well, at the same handle, at Radio Islam USA. Speaking of SoundCloud, you can go there usually the next day and download the previous broadcast. So that's normally up the very next day. So as I said, this is a call-in talk show, and we'd love to hear you and get your questions for our guest, get your comments, pick your brains. Our number is 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. You can also tweet your questions to us, and we will try to make sure we, we uh, answer those questions. So tonight, we have with us in studio... Gregory Abdullah Mitchell. He is the executive director of the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago. To give you a little bit of background about who he is, he is a licensed attorney in the state of Illinois, a chairperson for Leadership Development Institute, and a board member of Mashed al Taqwa in Chicago. Having served on the board of and provided legal assistance to many Muslim organizations over the past 25 years, Brother Mitchell brings a wealth of knowledge and experience concerning not-for-profit organizations to CLGC, which is the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago. So we are pleased to have you, and thank you so much for joining us. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam, Brother Turk. How are you this evening? I'm doing well. I'm uh, much better now that I see that chair filled next to me, so I know I don't have to sit here and talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that must be because you got a lot to say. No, no, not too much. <laughs> so we want to first start out, um, uh, as, as your bio indica- indicates, that you have, you've got a, a, a lot of experience. You bring a lot of years of experience, uh, a wealth of knowledge uh, to the position of executive director for CIOGC. But for our listeners who may not be familiar with the CIOGC, with the Council of Islamic Organizations of Greater Chicago, would you take a moment and first Tell us exactly what the CIOGC is. The Council of Islamic Organizations for Greater Chicago is an umbrella organization. It is, uh, its, member, its members are organizations, other Muslim organizations in the Greater Chicagoland uh, area. The focus of the council is to provide a, a unified voice for the Muslim community in this area on various issues that are of interest, of concern, that impact Muslims. And I would say another uh, primary function of the council is to uh, uh, try to address and facilitate the the uh, the operation of our our member organizations. You know, to the extent that they need assistance in trying to reach out to the community, how can the council, as an organization, assist them in that particular uh, regard? Okay. So there is uh, so is there there's an element of capacity building involved or uh, with the CLGC in terms of how it relates to its its members? Y- yes, and, and I would say to you more, uh, even more so now in these, uh, in, in the present times that we are in. Because um, there's a lot of challenges that are now facing, and historically, I mean, these are, our members are by and large uh, religious institutions. They're, they're masjids. Uh, or basically Islam or religion is, you know, a driving theme for their operation. Now, I, that's not to say we don't have other Muslim organizations, other strong Muslim that, uh, organizations that get involved in community-based activities, dealing with the needs of refugees, dealing with the uh, inner city youth. So it, it it is diverse from that particular aspect, but primarily 
that is, um, let's say, the, the role of, of the organization itself as an umbrella organization. Mm. So you mentioned some of, the, some of the issues or alluded to the, the social climate of today, the yeah. political climate of today. So my question is, with such a diverse, uh, with such a diverse membership, how are the objectives agreed upon? How do you get come to the point where you pick, we're going to work on this, uh, you know, A, B, C, you know, how, how, how does that process look? Uh, it's a difficult process. <laughs> uh, when you have 60 plus members and each uh, their interests and uh, aspects and what one sees as important may differ from another organization. It is about the uh, 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 from, from the Islamic term, sure, trying to have consultation and identify uh, common interests. Now, how that process works for the council is that each of the member organizations have representatives. That they serve as the uh, House of Representatives. That's the, what it's called. And in essence, they're the overriding body for the council. And, and, and their, their direction is provided from there. And then in addition, uh, the next level down is that our board of directors in terms of cultivating from that input policy and then get to my level as the uh, executive director to realize the goals and objectives that's as set out by the board and by the, uh, the House of Representatives. Okay. So in terms of, uh, I guess, one of the, I shouldn't say popular, but is a prevalent uh, concern, which is uh, Islamophobia. Um, now, I know we have organizations like, uh, in particular, CARE comes to mind, the uh, Council of uh, American uh, Islamic Relations. Are there times where there's an overlap? Is there, um, is there not so much in capacity building, but uh, how, how does that work when you have an issue where you, you may have a, a member organization that is more, I guess that's, that's really their lane. How, how, does that, how does that work? Well, the challenge is to stay in your lane, okay? And, and uh, yeah. because when you, particularly when you deal with issues that sometimes uh, that uh, care would address, it has an impact on, on our member organizations. And, they're in, and you have member organizations that want to have input on solutions or how these issues are to be addressed. But by and large, uh, uh, as an executive director, I see the role of the, of the council is to facilitate and assist those organizations who are direct and have that as their purpose. Mm -hmm. We cannot, uh, in essence, do everything that all our members do. I think that's a false narrative for the purpose of the, an umbrella organization, more particularly for CIOG, uh, CIOGC. That's not its role. But to the extent that we can facilitate communications and, or assist in other ways, and like I said, capacity building is one of them. Now we're dealing with small organizations like some um, a yet its footprint may be just in its community, but still it may be confronted with the same issues that the bigger communities do or, or the whole organization. Like if there's some pushback uh, on, um, uh, like you say, let's take Islamophobia. Well, it, it, Islamophobia is a concept, but it manifests itself in specific acts like graffiti on the walls of a, of a masjid, right. uh, how people interact or statements made to, or how individual Muslims are treated. It's important from the perspective of the, of the council is that we assist members in developing the expertise, in-house expertise, to, to deal with the media, to, to deal with the other faith partners. And then that, this is an ongoing process that, uh, uh, God willing, this is where the focus that we, uh, the board, and I as executive director wish this organization to go forward. Mm, okay. So in terms of, uh, you mentioned, and I'm probably going a little bit out of turn, but, you know, uh, it's good we're having an organic conversation, uh, so we may wind up coming back, you know, back around uh, a little later. But in terms of relationships with other uh, faith traditions, how important is that to the um, to CIOGC? That is, from my perspective, uh, vital. And the reason I say it's vital is because as people of faith, 
we must align ourselves with people that share our values and our principles to stand up against those that attack those very values. And like I said, we're using uh, Charlottesville uh, for a moment as an example. If we, if we're, there's public demonstrations of hate, we must stand together against it. It shouldn't be just if it's uh, directed towards Muslims, if it's directed to any group of people. And therein is the goes to the crux of the matter, as I'm seeing it, of your question is we need to develop and continue to develop the existing relationships and new relationships with other faith-based organizations, other faiths, to combat the hate and violence that we see is starting to percolate and even in our society. Okay. So for our listeners, um, for the benefit of our listeners, who are some of the, I guess, more longstanding um, faith partners that the CLGC um, has has cultivated, has developed over the years? Well, I, historically, it, it has been uh, with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. It, it, it includes uh, the uh, Jewish uh, Federation of, of rabbis. It, it includes the Methodist Church. It includes the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church. Um, there, I mean, there that historically has been the, the relationships that have been cu- cultivated by previous administrations of uh, the council. Okay. Uh, are there? Because I hear, um, I hear the Methodist and the Lutheran, and the Catholic and the Jewish. Um, I didn't hear any mention of the of the, of the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that is a direction uh, that. Uh, CIOGC is looking to cultivate further because you're right. It's there's been a, a there has not been a, a, a any strong relationships de- developed with the Black Church. Uh, to that end, um, I'm also I would just add to my my bio. I'm also on the board of the Southland Ministerial Health Network. That is a number of organization of, of, of a number of churches in the greater Southland uh, community. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, that's chaired by Apostle Carl White, Jr. And uh, we've already, and with the board and under his leadership, we're looking to form relationships where CLGC as an organization, its member organizations, can collaborate with the Southland uh, uh, Ministerial Health Network in doing projects and starting to build a relationship between the the Muslim community as is reflected by CIOGC and the, the black church as represented by the Southland Ministerial Health Network. That's, uh, that's, that is very, um, that, that's great to hear, uh, that type of, uh, that type of planned outreach. Um, and one thing I would add too is, is too, is we have in members organizations that have started that well on an individual basis. Sure. But I think it's very important that as uh, an umbrella organization and sometimes being the face of the Muslim community in, in this area, that this be a part of our mantra, a part of who we are. And uh, that, that is the, our plan to, to, to have that done. Uh, let me double back to uh, when we were talking about how objectives are um, are solidified, how they're selected, and you talked about the House of Representatives. This is a, I, w- I don't want to say uniquely, but it, it certainly resonates, I think, with any, any citizen, any, any American, you know, as a staple of our own government. Do you think that people would be surprised that this is a essential element of an Islamic organization. Well, non-Muslims in particular. Well, based on on in quotation the fake news that is out there uh, that we have to combat as a as an organization. Uh, yes, I think there be people would be surprised, um, and you know particularly when uh, a lot of uh, at least churches and other faiths there is a hierarchy and usually it's it's with a religious leader at top and it and it filters down to the congregation whereas 
in Islam, it, there isn't that kind of hierarchical structure. Um, and it, it does require, and, and I think something unique, particularly for the council in, in the United States, or for us here in the greater Chicagoland, is, our, is the diversity of our membership. I mean, it's not, we're, we're not that homogeneous. We have uh, people from various parts of the world, different nationalities, different racial makeups, uh, and uh, and also the very different perspectives on on various issues. And like I said, that is the challenge: bringing uh, a common thought. But there are basic principles where there is no difference, and I mean those are embedded in as tenets of our of our faith, and those are the things that we attempt to build on in terms of. Uh, there's no Muslim who deny that, there, that we should be advocates for justice. So when you have m movements or, or, or projects that are based in advancing principles of justice, there is no debate. Mm. So in terms of projects, um, this, this um, I guess, makes me think about this, the term civic engagement. Uh, and there are a lot of different manifestations or expressions of it. Would you share with the listeners your idea or your um, what you believe is a healthy expression of, a, of civic engagement for an umbrella organization like CLGC? I would let me be, answer your question first by I think it's important that we understand at least a, reach a common understanding when we, uh, with that term civic engagement. Mm -hmm. From my, sharing from my perspective, civic engagement is not merely a political term where you're, you're advancing uh, bills through various legislatures, whether it's on the state or the federal level. Civic engagement uh, encompasses also any adverse situation that your fellow man is, is, is addressing. You know, like I said, it's probably you know, right now, um, even though it is it has, it has its political overturns, uh, is, 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 is DACA and mm -hmm. dealing with the, the, the youth yeah. who have been brought to this country um, and now have once been promised uh, safe access, safe haven, and now that's being taken away by the, the actions of the president. Um, the it it's a fundamentally unfair, and as a as a as a ma as a matter of principle, the council and its member organizations stand with the community in opposing this and, ha and uh, this rescinding of the of the DACA and uh, advocating for these young people. Absolutely. Um, speaking of DACA. We know that a lot of folks may um, the majority of the majority of folks that have been associated with DACA have been, you know, Guatemalans, Hondurans, Mexicans, um, folks of origin, you know, from from those particular uh, places. But we also have, you know, uh, Filipinos, and we also have others. We have South Asians. We have um, uh, Arabs. Um, Africans. Af Africans, right. So every, we, we have a, a large contingent of folks that have been affected by, by DACA. Uh, do we find that we have within that a subset that uh, within the organization uh, of CLGC where we have uh, folks that are directly affected by this as well? Yes, yes. So, I mean, it, it, this is not, you know, like I said, is a large percentage of those uh, 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 individuals who've taken advantage of it have been from Central America. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't, and particularly here in Chicago, because we have a, a large Latino community in Chicago, and there are a lot uh, of individuals within that community that have taken advantage of, of, of DACA. But it's not limited to people from Central America. It extends to, in essence, the world. You know, people from various different parts, and and some are are Muslim and and, and others are not. I mean, it's so that that it it's a it's an issue that affects people. Okay. All right, folks, stick stick with us. Uh, we're going to be back after the break. If you have questions for our guests, 
please call us at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Or tweet us at Radio Islam USA. Check us out on Facebook also at the same Twitter handle. And you know that you can listen to us if you're in the uh, if you're in the car and your stream is starting to get kind of choppy. You can go online to www.wcev.com and listen to us live. We'll be back after the break. I became his driver. Soon enough, it was up to me to be his housekeeper and financial manager, too. When he moved in, I became his cook and even his nurse. But no matter what roles I play, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Would your business survive a disaster? Nearly two-thirds of businesses aren't prepared for an emergency, and 40% of businesses that experience a disaster never recover. Make an emergency plan now, before it's too late. For a free online tool that helps you develop an emergency plan to keep your business up and running should disaster strike, visit ready.gov forward slash business. Brought to you by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, the American Red Cross, and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV, 1450 AM Chicago. We've reached the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And you can review our prior shows at radioislam.com. Stop by SoundCloud, where you can pull down our previous day's broadcast also, if you're into the podcasting. Uh, We broadcast every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. We'd love to hear from you. Our number is 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Follow and tweet us at Radio Islam USA. We're talking with Gregory Abdullah Mitchell, the executive director director of CIGC. And we're going to turn the question back or turn our conversation back to uh, something we, we talked about You've got quite a bit of experience, over two decades of experience within the nonprofit uh, sector. Um, well, he's, he's, he's grimacing. Three. All right, I'm selling him short. <laughs> Three decades of experience. So why don't you uh, share with us, you know, what, what, are some of the, what are some of the things that, that, that you've done? Right. How have you been keeping busy in this nonprofit sector? Well, you know, I, I, I think what really uh, a lot of it is has been faith-based in terms of uh, once I embraced uh, Islam uh, back in the mid-70s, uh, that the inspiration kind of led me to be involved in various activities associated with Muslim, Muslim organizations. I think it, uh, and that started in Pittsburgh, and then when I moved to Cleveland, evolved into working with the, the, the massage there or the mosque in Chicago I mean in Cleveland excuse me and we formed uh, a umbrella organization at that time in, in Cleveland and, and to the best of my knowledge is one of the the early or one of the first ones and it, it is it's about getting people from diverse backgrounds to collaborate and and when I've moved here in the 80s to to Chicago um, it once again there were a number of uh, Muslim organizations, particularly mosques, that are starting to sprout up. And then me as an attorney, it 
gave me a, an avenue to advising counsel, and and that's kind of what led has kind of fed my uh, work in the nonprofit area. But once again, it's not been limited to Muslim organizations. I've worked uh, with uh, Christian-based uh, nonprofit organizations uh, as well. Um, and as I say, currently I'm serving on the board of the Southland Ministerial Health Network. So it's, it is about uh, being involved. And I think it's, it's, it's very important because I would say something that motivates me is we cannot afford to remain quiet. We must let our voices be heard because um, silence sometimes is taken as acquiescence. And to the extent that the greater community remains quiet on some of these issues, it, it, it lends itself to that inference, and, and that, that should not be. Um, can you identify through these uh, three-plus decades of, of work in this uh, sector, can you identify or is there a common thread uh, that you can see that, I guess, kind of runs through all of the, uh, through all, throughout all of your service? Mm, that's... Uh I would, I would say what kind of for me as an individual, what the motivating factor is, is that you is to help. Um, sometimes, like I said, it's it's where it's there's an absence of information, particularly from, from a legal perspective, that you can bring, and it brings a sol solution to a problem. And yeah, well, you know, for lack of better, it, it feel good. It feels good to help people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would say if I was kind of looking to try to find a, a, that would be a common thread for me as an individual. But when I look at the various organizations that I've worked with over the years is uh, what's a motivating factor is the opportunity to work with other individuals who have, let's say, those same kinds of desires and wanting to do better for their, their, their fellow man and, and their community. You mentioned the that silence can be taken as acquiescence, or you know, silence is tacit approval. And sometimes misconceptions go unchanged or, un, uh, or unchallenged or not addressed because people don't bring them up. They don't. They don't put a voice to what it is. Uh, you know, they don't. They don't put a voice to it. So, what are some of the misconceptions that? Maybe our listeners, somebody who is who's listening, who may know the name CIOGC, you know, who may have been to a dinner uh, or, or anything like that. What are some of the misconceptions that you think people who are familiar with the name might hold? I would think the the as opposed to m misconception, and I, I'll I will address that though. Mm -hmm. I think the overriding uh, problem is is uh, is a lack of understanding what the council actually does or what is the council. You know, per, when we're dealing in the United States, the understanding of, of, of Muslims is, is quite narrow. It's limited. It, it has it, the, the historically when um, America thinks of uh, Muslims, they think of the nation of Islam. Uh, and then they may think it, it evolves from there to uh, the branches that fed off of that, the continuation through Minister Farrakhan as well as the uh, continuation by Imam Warfdin Muhammad. Mm -hmm. So there is an aspect. And then the other aspect of it is people think uh, all Muslims are Arabs, right? All right? Um, so that... I think it's one of the, the challenges is if you don't even understand who or who are Muslims to even begin to uh, to approach and understand what is a council of these people who I don't know. It, therein, I would say the biggest issue is misconception is no conception at all. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, part our fault. Mm -hmm. You know, it's important that and I believe it's important for us as a community to engage in the greater society, to get people to know who you are, what you stand for, what are you prepared to do to make this a better place, to live and grow. 
And that is a, a role that I believe the Muslim community now recognizes that it hasn't sufficiently taken on, is taking it on, and uh, moving forward. That would be, I would say, the challenge that we face as a community, that face as an organization, getting people to understand who we are and what, what we do, and what we're about, what principles do we stand on. Mm. Do you think activities or events like, and maybe our listeners are not familiar with it, so after I mention it, if you could expound on it a little bit, um, but events like Illinois Muslim Action Day, you think those types of um, those types of events and endeavors they serve to put the the Muslim presence, you know, out out there a little bit more. Without question, and and the, the real challenge is to do more. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, and once again, to make it understand CLGC is a, a, a vital partner in that process. But I want to emphasize the word partner because there's many others that are, are involved in that process. And, and we feel it's, it's a very important that as Muslims we become engaged politically. It's not about partisanship, who's the right party or, or not. It is to what extent will we hold legislators to be accountable for those kinds of issues that first directly impact uh, the Muslim community, but the, commun- the, the overall community at large. Would you give, uh, to give our listeners uh, a better idea, because I know I, I mentioned it without giving a lot of background to it, but exactly what is Illinois Muslim Action Day? Illinois uh, Muslim Action Day is a, a day of advocacy for the Muslim community uh, for Illinois, Muslims in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, CIOGC as an a, a umbrella organization has played a, an important role in advocating and participating and in, in supporting and in, in organizing the, 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 the Illinois Muslim uh, Action Day. And from those kinds of things, it, 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 it it causes the community to galvanize and identify issues that are of concern to the Muslim community and then to serve as a vehicle to advocate with our local representatives, our, our state senators, our uh, state representatives for issues that are of concern to us. Uh, more, most recently during the, the recent uh, legislative session, a couple of bills that uh, the council supported and were part of the uh, um, Muslim Action Day was the Religious Garb Bill. Religious Garb Bill mm-hmm. uh, provided uh, the essence is an amended, amended existing laws to extend uh, prohibitions against discrimination based on dress or facial appearance. You know, a lot more for uh, as, as many, I, I would think, many of your listeners are aware of, the dress for Muslims may differ to the extent that you have uh, sisters. They may, they may have hijab or cover their head. Um, and we, the purpose of fighting or, or fighting or advocating for this particular bill was that they, any, anyone, and that, it doesn't limit itself. The text of the law doesn't limit it to Muslims, but to any uh, group that they should not be discriminating them based on how they dress. In essence, evaluation of their competency or their character should be the guiding principle, not how what, what they look like. Um, I want to chime in real quick and let our listeners know, uh, folks. If you have a question for uh, Brother Abdullah, for Brother Abdullah, um, who is the executive director of CIOGC, if you have a question about CIOGC, if you have a question about upcoming events, if you have a question about the mission, how you can uh, get involved, um, how they function, give us a call, 312-750-1178. You have him in the hot seat. He is, he is sitting here waiting for your questions. So um, I want to ask you, the idea of, uh, of of being, and it, it sounds like a it's a catch-all term, you know, civic engagement. It's a catch-all term um, because you know it, it can be passing out food, you know, on the on, in the neighborhood, 
to putting on a demonstration, you know, uh, supporting a Black Lives Matter, you know. So it's, it's a wide swath, you know, that you can look at. What are some of the key efforts right now that are coming up that CIOGC is either planning or either has, um, is partnering in? The, um, once again, let me ask you, answer your question and give you the, your, the list, your listeners a, a, a overall background. Mm -hmm. The um, emphasis for the council relative to civic engagement is to focus on issues locally and then expand from that particular point. Mm -hmm. That, however, doesn't foreclose us from addressing issues that we think are, are, are higher importance. And probably the one that is most significant at the moment is the genocide that is occurring in Burma. Um, we have a minority population of Muslims in that nation. It's estimated to be approximately 5%. And they are systematically being driven out of their country through violence. That violence manifested in murder, rape, burning of homes. Um, this is appalling. This, from our side of the looking glass, is a crime against humanity. And that's why we are partnering with the Burma Task Force to have a demonstration here next Saturday, September 16th, from 2 to 4 at the Federal Plaza at uh, Adams in Dearborn to speak out, to demand that the United States government take a, a position against what is happening by the Myanmar government. Do you think that the lack of awareness, or do you perceive a lack of awareness right now? Oh, without question, there's a lack of, of awareness. I mean, this, this coupled with the natural catastrophes that the United States is facing now, but even this is not an event that just happened like last week. This has been going on for years, but we're dealing with a group of people who have no voice. Um, and it's our attempt to join in with others across the world to say no more. Um, and the more that these kinds of demonstrations, the more that even your listeners to, to investigate, pursue this, this is not a, a, a strict, this is not just a religious. Clearly we're concerned because there are our Muslim brothers, but this is a crime against humanity. And we should all, all people, all people of goodwill and faith should be stepping out saying something, demanding that the government take action against this. All right, so I want to pose a question to you folks, you guys out here uh, that are listening. Do you, first of all, are you aware of what is going on in, in Burma? Second question is, what do you think we should be doing about it as Americans? Do we have a, should we be raising our voices? Should we be making phone calls? Are we making phone calls? What what is it registered with you? So um, think on that. Think on it. And while you do, we're going to take a quick two-minute break. But you can call us at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. And we'll be back in just a moment. I shoved the envelope under my sweater and sneaked through the kitchen. Mom was on the phone in the front room. I didn't want to have to explain anything. I just wanted to be by myself. Clutching the envelope tightly, I stepped onto the ladder at the bottom of the treehouse. Something caught my eye above me and I looked up. <gasps> Light! It looked as if there were a firework display going on inside the treehouse. Crackling and snapping and whizzing sounds spun around above my head. Light shot out and sparks dancing to the popping of noise. My first thought was to scream fire and run to the house to get mom. 
My legs trembled as I inched upward, creeping up the rungs as quietly as I could. My heart banged so hard that it felt as if someone were hitting my chest. A couple more steps, and then I leaned forward, craning my neck to look inside. And then I looked up and saw... To find out what happens next, read Philippa Fisher's Fairy God Sister by Liz Kessler. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library. And visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent. Brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. And now we have an 8-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. Welcome back. Welcome back, Radio Islam family. You're listening to Radio Islam at WCEV, 1450 AM Chicago. We reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com, where you can review prior shows, you can listen to the live show. You can also go to SoundCloud and download the previous day's broadcast. We are a live call-in talk show broadcasting every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Time. If you'd like to jump in the conversation, there was a question posed to you. What do you think the American response should be? What do we owe to the humanity of those being oppressed in other lands? Um, that's, a, that's a weighty question. Give us a call. 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178 or tweet us at Radio Islam USA. So we always want to make sure that we're not talking, not just talking. So we want to ask our brother here, what can our listeners do? What can they do? Those that don't, you know, they're bothered to hear that innocent men, women, and children are being slaughtered. There's not a lot that's being... Uh, that we see in the news about this situation. Okay, I think we've got a call coming through. Hello? Yes, uh, this is Bashir Assad. Assalamualaikum. Walaikum assalam. Yes, I, sir. I kind of got in a little late on the program, but uh, I'd, I'd like to ask, have you uh, discussed uh, who are the Rohingya and why is the government in Burma, uh, what is their reasoning for what their, uh, the misjustice, we say the misjustice that's, that's being uh, posed on the Rohingya people? And if there is any uh, Islamic national uh, endeavor to uh, alleviate that situation. And I'll hang up and listen. Okay. All right. So uh, for the benefit of our listeners who may not have heard, I'm, I'm hope, hopeful that I'm repeating it correctly. Uh, our brother Bashir asked, who are the Rohingya? Why are they being attacked? And I believe he also made mention of the lack of response from the quote-unquote Islamic world or Muslim-majority countries. So I'm going to... I'm going to pitch that over to, uh, to our brother uh, Abdullah here, and I'll let you take first uh, crack at that. All right. Well, I think it's important uh, uh, in terms of asking, uh, answering uh, Brother Bashir's question, it, 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 it requires a, a bit of a history lesson, and I can only share with him, him and the audience what I, I am aware of. I am aware of that uh, Rohingya people, have 
connections or roots in the area of uh, Miramar or slash Burma. As, uh, Miramar is now called Burma as it used to be known as uh, for nearly 200 years. I can also share with you the position, uh, as I understand, of the of the government of the 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 Buddhist-led government that they deny the Rohingya people are citizens. They have no citizenship in the land that they've lived for over 200 years. And they, the Rohingya are also a, a small minority, now, basically approximately 5% of the overall population in the nation. They and even the Christians, there's a small Christian population, and both minorities are being are suffering at the hands of the military in this nation, um, and it's basically it can be for, uh, referred to as apartheid, where you have no basic rights. So I would say that that would be a part of the the history in terms of a response, uh, a national response. Um, it starts, I think, first with raising everybody's consciousness of that fact. And and we're hopeful that uh, brothers like yourself, Brother Bashir, to join in this demonstration it's coming next Saturday to bring it before the attention of the of the American people to make it an issue that the power uh, governments need to address, more particularly the government of Miramar, that they need to cease. Yes. And, and to offer a little more context for our listeners who may not be aware of, uh, this may be the first time that you're hearing about the atrocities, the genocide that's taking place uh, in Burma with the Rohingya. There was a post on social media, and I'm just going to share uh, a, a bit of it to give, give us a little bit more context. And hopefully this does... Uh, this, this gives us, like I said, a little bit more context here. So it says, for the past... 40 years, the Rohingyas have been peacefully asking for the restoration of their citizenship. Their citizenship was taken from them 40 years. As a matter of fact, I believe it was taken prior to that. They got it back, and then it was taken back. Uh, it was removed from them again. Now, they are a minority. It says that um, the as they've been peacefully asking for this restoration, that there are other uh, groups, other ethnic groups, Buddhists and Christians in Burma, who are fighting the government with guns. Now, it's important for all justice-loving people to stand up in support of the peaceful Rohingya movement. They are indigenous people of Burma, so this is their ancestral homeland. And until the Burmese government canceled their citizenship in 1982 and began a campaign which scholars and Nobel laureate, Nobel Peace laureates describe as a textbook case of genocide um, so really what we're talking about is is raising awareness but we're also talking about delivering action and I'm going to send it back over to you and, uh, and, and tell our listeners who can they contact what should they be looking to do to let their voice be heard to, to let our elect officials know that this is not this is not acceptable I think um, what I would encourage all your listeners to do is the appropriate voices that uh, the, the ears and to hear your voice are those uh, in the federal government. It can start uh, with your uh, U.S. senator and, and uh, U.S. representatives. And how can you do that? I mean, clearly letter letter writing is one, but uh, use use call. Use social media. It needs to be, we need to raise the awareness of our own elected officials, not only your state representatives. We reach out to the our UN ambassador to the, to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, uh, our, our Secretary of State, Mr. Tillerson. Reach out to these people and say, no more, stop this and let them use their political power and persuasion to bring it to bear on the Bur Burmese and Miramar government that this apartheid, this slaughtering of innocent people must stop. Okay. And 
there is a you mentioned earlier that there is a demonstration that's taking place. Would you give uh, the listeners that information again? Yes. Once again, uh, next Saturday, September 16th uh, at the Federal Plaza, that's 230 South Dearborn. There will be a demonstration. It's going to start at 2 p.m. Uh, through f- uh, to 4 o'clock. And there you will have, we'll have a list of speakers to address these issues, to further educate the, the public what is happening uh, in Miramar and what is happening to the Rohingya people. We encourage you all to, to come, to learn, to participate and raise your voice against this injustice, this, this homicide, the murder of innocent people. Thank you. I'm going to I want to share something with you, uh, folks, something that my father used to tell me. Um, it was a story somebody told him It was just a phrase. He says that I used to feel bad because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Now, we may be some of us, some of you who are listening right now might think that you are in a bad position. You might think that you are fighting for your rights. You might feel like you're not getting the attention or the support that you deserve for your struggles. But I'm saying that you have shoes, and we're talking about people who have no feet, right? You get the point here. Uh, what's taking place right, right now, it is, a, it is an atrocity. It is an attack on humanity, and it's worthy of all of our attention is worthy of all of our voices. So I'm going to close with this. I've just come across a piece of information. As Brother Abdullah mentioned, reach out. If you're on social media, reach out to at Nikki Haley. Reach out to at USE Embassy Burma. Demand that the Burmese Commander-in-Chief to cease fire and stop all operations against the Rohingya Muslims. Go on Twitter. Use the hashtag stop killing Rohingya use the hashtag put the hashtag in there Rohingya Muslims make your voice heard because silence is complicity silence is acquiescence silence is agreement and this is not a time for silence this is a time for us to raise our voices and we know that if you're listening to Radio Islam that you care about humanity You care about human dignity. You care about the suffering of others. So let's be the change that we want to see in the world. Let's do our part. It's been a pleasure talking with you, Brother Abdullah. We thank you for coming in. Well, I I appreciate you inviting me and giving me an opportunity to, to reach out and speak to your listeners. Yes, sir. Anytime, anytime. So on behalf of all of us here at Radio Islam, we're wishing you a wonderful weekend. Um, before we run off, we want to tell you that our engineer at WCV tonight was Leonard, our engineer in studio, the masterful Ibrahim Baig. I'm your host, Tariq el Remember that anything that has been said, the words, uh, these are not necessarily the thoughts or the views of Sound Vision, our parent company, but those of the speakers themselves. I leave you as I greeted you with assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.